From the studios of WORQ in Wisconsin, this is the Stand Up For The Truth Podcast. Today's issues, overlooked headlines, and biblical observations, equipping the remnant around the globe. Got your sword handy? This is Stand Up For The Truth. Thursday, February 1st, 2024, 30 years ago. WORQ-FM went on the air for the first time. Today's our 30th anniversary, and we've got a fresh new podcast. Mary Danielson is here. Yes, happy anniversary, Q90-FM. What a great thing. What a great milestone to uh, record and, and rejoice in and praise God for. So we're excited about that. Julianne Appling is back with us today, and we have several topics to discuss, whether you are in Wisconsin or elsewhere across the fruited plain. Uh, these are issues that many state governments and uh, municipalities are grappling with. So we have quite an eclectic mix this morning. So I hope you'll stay with us. Uh, again, Jolene is back with us. And our scripture this morning is Romans eight twenty two to 28. And these are some of my favorites. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the minds of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Yes, we wait for it patiently. I I don't know if I can say that I wait for it patiently, but we do wait. Would you pray with me this morning? Oh, Lord, we do groan, and we are eagerly awaiting eternity with you. Help us keep our eyes on the glorious future that you've promised us to dwell forever with you and with our forever family because of what you have done on our behalf. We ask that you walk among us today. Oh, Lord, guide and direct our steps, the words of our mouths, as you have already promised you would do for us. We lift up Julaine and the things that you have given her to do for the kingdom and ask for strength and endurance and protection in all things, for good health for her and her family. In Jesus' name, amen. Jelaine Appling, president of Wisconsin Family Council and Wisconsin Family Action. During the 10 years that she spent in the classroom in Wisconsin, she taught on the junior high, high school, and college levels. In 1997, she came to work at Wisconsin Family Council as director of office operations, and in 1998, she became the executive director. And that would be wifamilycouncil.org and wifamilyaction.org. Jelaine, good morning, and welcome back to Stand Up. Well, good morning, Mary, and everyone there at Q90. Kudos and congratulations on this 30th anniversary. What a great milestone of faithful ministry to uh, people here in our great state and around the world through the modern technology that we have today. Keep up the good work. Thank you, and it is a great milestone, and I think, how could 1994 be 30 years ago? But yes, (laughs) that's the second thing that comes to my mind. (laughs) 
So I'm on your page here, Julaine, and it says, Strengthening, Preserving, and Promoting God's Plan for Marriage and Family, the Sanctity of Life, and Religious Freedom in the Badger State. And that about says it all. We need all that these days. What uh, What's new at Wisconsin Family Council? It's such a much-needed ministry as the culture just sort of circles the drain. Um, do you have an update on uh, the firebombing um, situation now after all this time? or What's new over there? Well, I don't know that we have a lot new yet. There will be some news coming in the next week or so that people will want to pay attention to. And I'm not at liberty to say that right now, okay. but um, some some things will be of, of note, I believe. Great. And um, but we're you know we're preparing for our Lead Wisconsin Teen Worldview and uh, Leadership Camp coming up in July. Great. Our Church Ambassador Network team through Wisconsin Family Council is has two pastors with them today. They're headed over to the state capitol to share the gospel, to encourage the faithful, to pray for those who are without Christ, and to talk about what Scripture says um, about who we are and to minister to those folks. Um, I love what they're doing over there. There's been some fantastic. Um, just God has done some amazing things through that ministry. Uh, we are also, of course, we've got our national or not our national, excuse me, our Wisconsin Marriage Hall of Fame. Um, we'll probably talk about that a little later okay. if we get yeah. to the National Marriage Week. But uh, we're looking for couples who have been married at least 60 years. The application is online and it uh, deadline is February 19th. I love this, Mary, because it's a practical thing we do to honor individual marriages that have gone the dis- that are going the distance mm-hmm. and have gone the distance um as well as honoring the institution of marriage mm-hmm. we want to promote it in every way mm-hmm. so um yeah and <laughs> we um yeah, we, we, we managed to stay busy. <laughs> We're wrapping yeah. up a legislative session. I think the next, this legislative session, as far as floor periods and bills being, you know, on the floor of the state Senate or state assembly or having public hearings, I think we'll have that all wrapped up by probably the middle of March. Um, so <laughs> we're very busy right now. The, there, I think Jack, our legislative and policy director is in, Involved with three or four hearings today. Mm. So, of course, we have elections. We have a primary election for local offices coming up later this month in February. Then we have our spring election and uh, we're engaged in that. So I say there's not much. I didn't say there's there's a lot going on. Not mm-hmm. all of it is new. Mm-hmm. So but we're doing great. Yeah. Moving Excellent. forward. Excellent. And uh, any updates on the the? Oh, yeah, the firebombing. Uh, so in December, I think we talked about this last time, the yeah. guy pled guilty. The sentencing was scheduled for February 14th, just two weeks. And I got a call from the victim's advocate that is assigned to us. And she said, well, the defendants have asked for an extended time to deal with the sentencing. So I don't know when it will happen now. Okay. Um, I, I And, uh, you know, going through my mind, Mary, is who? what's the point of delaying that? Yeah. And let, I, I don't think he can retract his, and, and I'm not an expert on federal law, on criminal law, okay? So I don't know, can he retract his plea, yeah. uh, his plea of guilty, and then we go back to do something? I don't know. Yeah. Wow. So I tried to get in touch with her. I got to figure out, you know, because um, I'm was i going to go over, I'm going to make a victim statement. Okay. Uh, I think that's important. But remember that that's only one. They have DNA from three. Mm. That's right. So, so it's still yeah. an open case. And even though this one seems to be, you know, we seem to be moving towards justice, yeah. justice under the law, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
this on this one, there's still an open case because of this other DNA that's out there. But okay. yeah, so well. so I don't know. This is this has been a weird thing because you know it's going on two years now. It was Mother's Day of 2022, so it won't be that long before we're at Mother's Day of 2024, and we still don't have a sentencing for this guy. I mm. I guess the wheels of justice grind, but they grind very slowly or something. <laughs> that's exactly what I was going to say next. If you didn't say it. <laughs> Yeah, well, hopefully the Lord's just doing something there and everyone involved, and that's above my pay grade. But, you know, here's hoping and and praying that the Lord is doing something. So thank you for that update. And we have a sort of an eclectic mix today of things we want to cover. And the first thing we want to talk about is the school choice program. And a little bit of background here is there are 16 states uh, in, in this country with school choice voucher programs. Last fall, a super PAC, the Mequon Brewing Company, filed a petition to the U.S. Supreme Court alleging that the school choice program was unconstitutional. And I'm going to uh, send this right to you, Julaine. What has happened since then? I know um, that there's a, a week related to school choice. So where are we at in uh, for the parents that are listening? Where is that at right now? Well, you know, <clears throat> that that <clears throat> legal case, is, we're actually in a pretty good place. And <clears throat> um, I'm glad you led with that statement about school choice. And we call it educational freedom. Because, yeah. number one, and I want to make sure people know where we're coming on from on this, Mary. We believe as an organization, and I certainly personally believe this, that the education of children is the responsibility of the parents. Mm-hmm. Parents can choose a partner to help in the, quote, formal, end quote, education of their children. But even if that partner fails miserably, parents are not off the hook. God didn't give schools children. He gave parents children, and they are the ones that are before God are ultimately responsible for all aspects of the upbringing, including the education of these children. So um, this educational freedom is very important so that parents have more than one option when it comes to thinking about a partner for them if they want to do something other than homeschool. So Wisconsin was the first state in the country. Uh, this is the fortieth. No, the thirty. This is the thirtieth anniversary of uh, school choice really? in Wisconsin. Okay. It is uh, this year, twenty twenty four. Annette Polly Williams was an African American state legislator from uh, Milwaukee, and she pushed for this, got it through uh, what we call our voucher program or a parental choice program there for Milwaukee only. And then under the Walker administration, it expanded to Racine, and then also under the Walker administration, we have a statewide program. So the school choice week that we celebrated January 21 through 28 was all mostly about that program, okay. but also about other options. Wisconsin is really blessed. We have a lot of options uh, for parents to look at open enrollment, regular private schools, mm-hmm. voucher programs, virtual mm-hmm. charter, you know, all kinds of things for people to look at. So but the school choice program that people typically think of is our voucher program. And that includes private secular schools as well as private religious schools. The U.S. the state supreme court years and years ago um, said, "Yeah, you can't you can't deny people the opportunity to send their kids to a religious school just because you don't like their religious viewpoint." Mm. You know, so mm-hmm. um, this is these programs are thriving. All three of them. Uh, we have, I think, it's well over sixty thousand students now across the state involved in one of these programs. So I want to. How, how does that relate to the lawsuit? Well, the lawsuit filed by these liberal people who apparently had more money than anything else Mm -hmm. 
was they said basically that the school choice program was taking money from the public schools and thereby were depriving the public school students uh, an adequate education. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so in a, in a really, <laughs> I know. Okay. I mean, it's funny on the face of it, right? Yes, it is. So a, a number of, of people and groups weighed in on that. Notably, Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty told the, and by the way, they did a direct action, uh, what they call a direct action uh, petition, which meant they skipped the district court, they skipped the appellate court, and they went straight to the, uh, straight to the state Supreme mm-hmm. Court because they thought it was so important and timely and mm, blah, right. blah. So, yeah. <laughs> so the state Supreme Court had the right to, to accept it or not. The Wisconsin Institute of, uh, for Law and Liberty said, don't do this, high court. Don't accept this yeah. case. Uh, Robin Voss, Speaker of the State Assembly, weighed in and said, don't do this. Don't take this case. And incredibly, Governor Evers weighed in and said, don't take this case. Mm. And one part of the reason is it's not just a few people who would be impacted. Yeah. It's thousands and thousands of families and obviously tens of thousands of students. So um, <laughs> so the court said, nope, we're not going to take this case. <laughs> wow. So what we had was a victory for education freedom. Mm-hmm. Now, will it get, because re- what the court said, if you want to do this, you're going to have to go back to the district court. I mean, they didn't, they didn't comment on it, but that's, essentially what they were saying. If you want to file this, you got to file it at the district court, run it through its normal course of, of through the judiciary. Um, it would be very expensive to do this. So we haven't seen anything. I'm hoping that nobody challenges this. Yeah. The governor actually in the budget this past year, a year ago, no, no, six months ago, January or June, he increased the amount of the vouchers at every level. There's three Ooh. levels. I think it's, I guess there's two levels, high school and elementary, junior high. But anyway, he increased the amount of money for those. And here's some really cool news. So this DPI just released a report saying there are just shy of 400 schools across and school systems across the state wow. participating in the Isn't that wow. wonderful? Yeah. And, and the vast majority of those, Mary, are, are religious schools, mm. Catholic, Lutheran, um, uh, you know, uh, non-denominational Baptist. I'm on the board of our Christian school here at, at, at Calvary Baptist uh, Church and school in Watertown. I love doing that. Um, and we take vouchers here in, in our sit in our school and it, it's just been wonderful. And, and so the application window opens today. Mm, great. For that. Great. So. Parents need to, if they're, if they think they qualify and how you qualify from Milwaukee is different from how you qualify from Racine, which okay. is different from how you qualify for the statewide, but jump on dpi.wi.gov forward slash choice. And it will take you to a page where you can go in and, and get answers to questions. But this is a great opportunity for parents who do qualify to get their kids in a school that is right for them, where you share the values. Mm-hmm. You have academic standards that are different. You have curriculum differences. Um, so, th- look, um, this is educational freedom. This is yeah. allowing truly the money to follow the students. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I love school choice. I'm a, a huge proponent of it. Yeah, me too. And actually, when my daughter was young, there was no such thing yet back in the 80s. And then we ended up homeschooling, which is perfectly fine. But I think that uh, the the amount of choices people have these days is wonderful. I was looking at some of the uh, why it is controversial file here. Um, and, you know, it's, there's a common misconception that if students leave a public school using voucher funds, that those who stay, there will be less 
taxpayer money available, which isn't true. They will fall behind academically. You know, just because some kids choose to leave for a different environment, there's no need to guilt the parents uh, into thinking that other kids are left behind or trapped. Because in Milwaukee, here's a number, in Milwaukee, one in every three kids is enrolled in a choice program. That really surprised me. Right. No, it's huge. Um, I had, I, I guest host a program every Wednesday afternoon and yesterday I had on, um, the president of the largest school that takes voucher students in, in the state, Academy of Excellence. They have a brick and mortar. They have three campuses in their brick and mortar schools in Milwaukee and they have a virtual school that is just exploding. And it's also voucher, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that was what he was pointing out in race in, in Milwaukee is one out of every three in racing. It's one out of every five. Mm. Now the numbers statewide are much lower because we haven't had that program and they've capped it. Um, mm-hmm. it's, we've only had that program for what eight to 10 years, maybe not even okay. that long. Mm-hmm. And it's been capped now by 2025. The cap will be removed. Um, because that has really suppressed the number of people that statewide can get into the program. You know, in communities that aren't Milwaukee and yeah, Racine, right. but but this is stunning. Um, and and you know, I mean, homeschooling has exploded. And by the way, this is the 40th anniversary of our homeschool law here in Wisconsin. Wow. Um, the homeschool issue was, and the private school law was really the they were the the impetus for our organization's beginning. We began in 1986. The homeschool private school law went into effect in 1984, mm-hmm. and uh, the mm-hmm. people that were started our organization were involved with that very heavily involved with that. So um, the, look, th- that that's educational freedom. Parents that want to have their kids educated at home should have the right to do that yeah. because ultimately parents are responsible for the education of their children. Yes. Yes. So I just encourage people um, to take a look at the options that people that, that are available for parents today. Like you said, Mary, in the eighties, you didn't have all those options. We, mm-hmm. those battles were yet to be fought. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, part of the joy that I have had over the years I've been doing this is to keep fighting for educational freedom, yeah. to keep these programs available for parents. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah. it's just, it's, it's an, it's a great opportunity. We have so many failing public schools. And I know, you know, we, we, we might talk about that later, but, but there's a reason that people leave public schools. There sure is. (laughs) You know? Yep. And it's becoming more clear because that's a great segue to the next article, which is from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Wisconsin schools are facing fiscal cliffs, closing buildings and going to referendum. How did we get here? And I think some of this we've already answered, but um, the article says as school districts across Wisconsin face daunting financial deficits, some communities are grappling with the hardest cuts they've ever had to make. And it goes on to document the Green Bay School Board has voted to close three schools, while Watosa uh, is considering closing two elementary. Uh, other districts that have had to take this step, uh, including Waukesha, West Allis, Cudahy, um, they're also asking for money from uh, taxpayers. Kenosha, uh, are they are uh, laying off staff? Um, uh, I think it is Kenosha. They they have a budget plan. They have to come up with a budget plan. It would cut over one hundred positions, um, and you know there's inflation, of course, and there are not as many. Uh, Students, they're saying 25,000 less students, a birth rate and all this. Um, also, pandemic funds are shutting down. They can't get the money anymore. Julian, I think that that pretty much covers it. Any other thoughts on why the Wisconsin schools are going off a fiscal cliff? Well, I do think that covers it. You know, we do have revenue caps in place okay. for our schools. And um, by the way, <laughs> 
Um, you almost have to be a statistical and mathematical genius or some kind of a magician to understand how we really fund school, public schools. Yeah, no doubt. It is, uh, when I served on the school board, and um, I served on the school board, by the way, for two terms, so a public school board. So I do understand some of this. You know, But I want to camp on one thing before we leave this, Mary. The, the article, I, in my opinion, does not give enough credence to the fact that the public schools are having fewer and fewer students in many, many situations. Mm-hmm. About seven or eight years ago, a, a, a guy came to a hearing from Wisconsin Association of School Boards, and maybe it was only like five years ago, but he said that over 60% of the school districts were, and it was pre-COVID, pre-COVID, okay, yeah. um, where we're suffering from declining enrollments. Well, that's just gotten, that, that's been exacerbated. It's gotten worse over time. Uh, the COVID rules, the masking, the, the virtual component, you know, all of that weighed into people deciding, I don't want to put my kids in there. Mm-hmm. Then what got exposed was the books that they were having, the curriculum that they were facing with DEI and CRT and all of that. And so, so parents have made t- choices to go into public, to private schools or to go into homeschool. And it has, it has hurt. I, it has, I want to say hurt. It's affected the yeah. public schools. Of course it has. Sure. Because what happens is their money is dependent largely upon the number of students they get from the state amount of money based on how many students they have. That's why they do that second uh, Friday in uh, September headcount, right? Mm, right? And the schools do everything they get. But, but do not miss that since 1974, Wisconsin has been below replacement birth rate. Okay. Replacement birth rate is 2.1 babies per woman of childbearing age. We've been at 1.8, 1.9 for all those years. Yeah. You cannot do that and have that kind of suppressed birth rate and expect to fill your seats in a classroom or have employees to, um, you know, serve your business or have a tax base or have a whatever. Right. You, you can't do that. We, we're in a very, very precarious position here. And so, um, I, I think that is far more significant than mm-hmm. what the, the article pointed out. It, it, that, that birth rate is, is so telling and so important and people just gloss over it. Yeah. Like it's not. And it is. So yeah. public schools are going to have to figure it out. Number one, my experience has been most public schools are administrative heavy. Okay. They're sure. top heavy mm-hmm. and they pay those people a, a very, very nice living. Okay. And, um, so teachers want more benefits and they want, and, and I, look, I, I'm a teacher at heart. I've, I've taught. I don't begrudge teachers a, a, uh, a appropriate pay and appropriate mm-hmm. benefits. Right. But at some point, everybody's going to have to start making the same kind of sacrifices that everybody else makes right now in a period where, um, prices are increasing and it's just i know it's a tough spot and people are going to have to make tough decisions i sat on a school board when we closed a local a local elementary school it was horrible but school districts get left with no option other than to consolidate in their buildings yeah and i think parents really do understand this because um you know the public schools are radicalizing youth they're you know to hate their family to hate their country to hate their own body to hate god you know marxist indoctrination i the fact that they don't get this is is actually at at heart mind boggling. But you have unions and all that, so it is complicated, like you said. Um, but I, to me, this was inevitable. I just I'm not 
going to gloat about it. <laughs> I think it was inevitable and good for the parents and good for the yeah, choice. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Educational freedom yes. forever. <laughs> <laughs> we have we have about, I don't know, it's gone so fast, Julian. We have about six minutes left in this portion, and I want to get to the state redistricting maps about our legislative <laughs> maps, you know, that determine the assembly and state districts. They, they redistrict every 10 years or, years or so, I guess, because of the U.S. Census. You know, all that data becomes available. But um, what's going on? We've been hearing about this for several months now. This this group doesn't like these maps, and they and it's supposed to be nonpartisan. And and uh, nothing's there isn't anything such thing as nonpartisan <laughs> anymore. Everything's politicized. So, um, you know, who are the winners and losers when these uh, maps get re- redrawn? Okay, a couple points. Number one, the reason we do um, redraw legislative maps every 10 years is because our U.S. Constitution requires a census of the people every 10 years. That results in having to look at how the legislative boundaries are because they have to have equal representation. So you can't have one assembly district in Wisconsin with 100,000 people and another one with 30,000 people. So they have to equalize that. So the second thing I want to point out is you, you say it's supposed to be nonpartisan, but here's the deal. To the, to the victors go the spoils, right? <laughs> right. Okay. So in Wisconsin, the legislature is, is, has the authority to, to draw the maps based on, on our, our law and federal law about how those maps have to look. And so who controls the legislature? Is means who gets to draw those maps. For all these years, the Republicans have controlled the Assembly and the Senate. So they made up the maps in 2022. They were accepted. Well, they took a lot of court decisions to get to it, but we've got the maps that we currently have. And um, we have a set of congressional maps, and we have a set of maps for the Assembly and Senate districts for our state government. And so when Janet Protasiewicz was running for the Supreme Court last summer, she or last spring, she said very clearly the current maps for Assembly and Senate were rigged and unfair. She made a clear declina- declaration about that. Mm-hmm. In August, she got seated on the court. The court went from four three liberal or four three conservative to four three liberal. And the next day, two days later, a lawsuit was filed challenging our current Assembly and Senate maps. The Supreme Court, and it went straight to the Supreme Court, skipped the district court and the appellate court. And in November, late November, early December, the Supreme Court ruled on it and said, yep, these maps are unconstitutional. You have too many areas that are not contiguous. In fact, they claim that out of 99 assembly districts, there are like 55 assembly districts that are non-contiguous. Meaning, so meaning is, what? That they, they, there's well, they land have little there ice. Okay. Yeah. It's just, it usually becomes... Um, a population center that gets pulled in or okay. separated from. So, um, you, you everybody could quibble over what that means, right? <laughs> right. But surprise, surprise. Um, Janet Protasiewicz voted with the majority. Of course she was. She said they were unfair and rigged from the beginning. Uh, she should have recused herself. She didn't. Mm. So, so the court said right then, okay, um, we got to have new maps submitted. You have until. I forget what the date was. It's, it was this, it was February, it was January. And then, then the court did something really, really interesting. The liberal, um, justice on, on the Supreme Court hired two supposedly objective consultants, map consultants. And today they are supposed to give the court their determination on which of the maps that were submitted. And there were seven different maps, I think, that were submitted okay. to the court. 
um, and they're supposed to give their opinion on it and help the court make a decision. Wisconsin Elections Commission says, hey, we got to have maps in place, well-defined by March 15th, if we're going to have any kind of sense going into the fall election, because we have a primary in August, and then we have the general election in November. In the middle of all this, the state legislature last week, the assembly, took Governor Evers' maps that he submitted and adjusted them a little. The Senate and the assembly passed it, gave it to the governor, and the governor vetoed it. So (laughs) the governor vetoed his maps, (laughs) which is what the the assembly and Senate considered to be minor adjustments. So, so now we're, we're just still in the limbo. To make this even more confusing, though, last week there was a lawsuit filed by a notoriously liberal attorney challenging our congressional maps. Mm. <laughs> so, so, so now we have both sets of maps being contested. Fortunately, Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty has weighed in and has pushed back on that. So we'll see uh, what happens. We do not oh. need to throw those congressional maps into this mix. Yeah. But we the people... We need to know where, what district we're going to be, um, well, who's going to represent us in the Senate and the Assembly yeah. so that we can look at candidates and yeah. be ready to vote in, in November. Well, all this to me uh, really proves that there's no such thing as nonpartisan anything anymore. <laughs> I think that's just that's the proof's in the pudding, as they say. Does this have to do with, we only have 30 seconds here, does this have to do with wards? Like, uh, you know, I'm up here, I'm in Appleton, the ward um, configurations too? No. Okay. It shouldn't. It shouldn't because that's <laughs> okay. your, your local entity okay. has taken care of that. Wow. Very interesting. Yeah. And I also heard that there's a group called the People's Maps Commission, and they're the eh. ones that draw them. Well, they were put together for the 2021-2022 debacle. Okay. All right. Interesting. This is Mary Danielson, and you are listening to Stand Up for the Truth. And we're talking to Julaine Appling, WIFamily.org, WIFamilyCouncil.org, WIFamilyAction.org. And we're talking about just a real eclectic mix of things. We want to talk about National Marriage Week, the Marriage Hall of Fame. We want to talk about... um, uh, the Republicans' bill uh, banning abortions after 14 weeks. So we have an awful lot to cover yet in the second half. And all these things probably affect other states as well. I think the states in general are grappling with these things. So uh, stay with us for the second half, and we'll be right back in two minutes. Feedback, questions, and topic suggestions are always appreciated. Email us at comments at standupforthetruth.com. Welcome back to Stand Up For The Truth for February the 1st. I can't believe January's over for another year. And all the upper Midwesterners say, yay. Um, but we've had some beautiful weather, so um, we're really happy about that. Uh, we're talking to Jelaine Appling from Wisconsin Family Council, Wisconsin Family Action, and she's a wealth of information about all kinds of things going on behind the scenes that oftentimes we don't have time to really look into to any and at any length, so it's it's great to get uh, caught up with her about school school choice. I was very heartened to hear that that parents can go online um, and see what their options are. But we want to continue on with our eclectic mix of topics here. Um, there's the Wisconsin Family Council Marriage Hall of Fame. Now I'm not quite there yet as far as the numbers go. I'm we're we're at 42 years coming up this summer, so. Uh, um, it's just marriage is a wonderful thing. But February f- 7 to 14 is National Marriage Week. Let's strengthen marriage. And this is a great graphic that they have on their website uh, about the benefits of marriage. It says married adults live longer lives. They have better health. 
uh, greater personal happiness. Children raised by both parents at home perform better in school. There's less addiction issues, less teen pregnancy, less trouble with the law. Um, but some of the, uh, some of the statistics, this is, Julene, I was a little surprised, like, about this. Marriage is good for America, it says, but marriage is falling off a cliff. Uh, in 1970, nearly 80% of all adults in America were married. Today, that number has shockingly dropped to only 52% of adults. Very interesting, Jelaine. What are your takes on the National Marriage Week, and what would you like the listener to think about uh, when it comes to marriage and how how it is the best thing for a culture? Well, I think the most important thing we say about this, Mary, is that God's way is always the mm. best way. Amen to that. He, he designed right, and he designed marriage for his glory and our good. Mm-hmm. And and it, it's and he said in in the opening chapters of the book of beginnings, Genesis, he did he he created Adam, and then he out of Adam, you know, he took the rib and he gave it Eve, and he says very clearly that um, there uh, a man is to leave his family and to cleave to his wife instituting the marriage the, the giving us marriage mm-hmm. right there and the two shall be one flesh and then he said go and uh, be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth have dominion over it and so very clearly he was putting his stamp of blessing on something uh, that was about not just their personal happiness and and it is, mm-hmm. and it certainly marriage is but mm-hmm. it's also about the perpetuation of the human species mm-hmm. because god said look you have babies and perpetuate this this humankind within the bounds of marriage, within the within that bond and those boundaries. Why? Because when you get outside of that, you get hurt. So what? So what's been happening in in America? So let's talk about that. Wisconsin is a microcosm of the bigger picture here in right. our country. More and more people have believed some lies. Number one, they believe the lie that 50% of all marriages fail and end in divorce. That is just not true. Mm. That is a misinterpretation of the data. Very, very, it's, I'm just telling you right now, states do not track. If you got married in 1990, they are not looking at everybody who got married in 1990 to see whether they're still married or whether they're divorced. They don't keep that kind of debate. And to, they don't get that kind of data. And if you're going to say 50% of marriages fail, you have to do that for every year. Yes. And we don't do that. What we compare is the number of marriages that take place in a year to the number of divorces that take place in a year. So if we have 20,000 marriages take place in Wisconsin this year and we have 10,000 divorces, there, well, there's a 50% difference, right? There's half mm-hmm. as many divorces as there are marriages that doesn't mean marriages if you get married you have a 50 percent likelihood of failing Mm -hmm. what kid what young person looking at marriage that wants to go into an a commitment like that if they feel like oh man i only got a 50 percent likelihood of making this thing work Mm -hmm. so so that is so important we need to change the conversation change the messaging for the next for these younger generations secondly more because of that belief, more and more um, young people are cohabiting. That is a death knell for a marriage. Yes, that is a death knell. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. so so a third, they're getting married older. So that, by the way, is part of the reason we have a uh, we we don't have a very healthy fertility rate because if you get married older, the woman's biological clock has only got so many minutes on it. That's right. So, right. So yeah. they're going to have fewer children. Um, and, and, and a lot of them, are, a lot of people are just saying, nope, don't want to touch marriage up for, for, you know, it's economically, blah, blah, blah. It just goes on and on. But what happens is there's a profound societal impact. 
marriage is a foundational society of a, a foundational institution for every society. Why? Because God's word is not just for 21st century Americans. It's not. It's for everybody at every time and every place Mm -hmm. universally. Mm -hmm. And that is his plan for men and women. So uh, we need to champion marriage. Churches should champion marriage. Do it during National Marriage Week. I don't care. Do it two weeks before. Do it two months later. I don't care. (laughs) But find a way to make much of marriage. Celebrate the engagements, the marriages. Do great premarital counseling. And by the way, premarital counseling done with an inventory like prepare and enrich, something like that, mm-hmm. is um, it's almost like insurance, marriage insurance against divorce, Mary. Mm-hmm. It really is. Yeah. Um, but but really good premarital counseling, going to church together, uh, those are some very basic things that can help ensure that people's marriages will go the distance. Yeah. And so families need to make much of marriage. Um, communities need to make much of marriage. Strong communities, strong churches, strong state, and a strong nation are all built yeah. squarely yeah. on yep. strong marriages. Yes. So go marriage. Yeah, go marriage. And also pastors need to, um, you know, be aware that people are living together in their fellowship. They're coming to church week after week. When when I worked at a church, uh, we would do, you know, sign up the couples, get them ready to go, do the premarital counseling, only to find they're living together. When I first started doing it, no one was living together. By the time I was done in my service there, everyone was living together. And and when you tell them that what the Bible says about it, they, they just look at you like deer in the headlights while well, our parents did it or whatever. And and so I think it it's good for churches also to, to let from the pulpit – let people know that that is not um, God's plan. It's sin. It's living in sin. We called it that yeah. back in the 70s. It's still living in sin. And so I think um, churches celebrating marriage and also being aware that there are people who don't understand why they shouldn't be doing that. And you hit the nail on the head that that has, that has really destroyed uh, marriage uh, in general in so many ways for an entire generation. Well, it has. And uh, we're pe- pre- as you mentioned, we're perpetuating it, and churches that wink at it yeah. are hurting the people that are involved in these cohabiting relationships mm-hmm. because they're not being warned, and and they're hurting the body of Christ. They really are. Yeah. Um, and by the way, marriage is continuing to be under attack. Yes, the Supreme yeah. Court in 2015 legalized same-sex marriage. Right behind it is coming polyamory. The people who want to have these open relationships, they want they want legal recognition. Uh, we're seeing that more and more. Polyamory is being talked about more and more in national Ugh. media um, outlets than it ever has been. And these are these strange relationships of two or three or four different people, men, women, all mm. kinds of combinations. Um, when you tell, when you change the definition of marriage in, for gender, you better know you're going to end up changing it yeah. for number as well. Wow. And we know Satan hates that institution of marriage. And so hence, that's why we see so much of the degrading of the institution of marriage. And it's heartbreaking. It really, really is. Um, And it's heartbreaking for for us to watch, but it's especially bad for children. By the way, State Assembly just last week on a voice vote passed a bill that we fought every session, and that is a bill that would would allow people to get a divorce finalization today and remarry tomorrow. That's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. We currently have a waiting period of six months. Mm -hmm. In that six months, there could be um, reconciliation. There's time for the family to adjust, for children especially. But no, no, they want to completely eliminate it. That Mm -hmm. also hurts the institution of marriage. It does. So National Marriage Week, let's champion it. Yes, absolutely. Uh, February 7 to 14, so that's coming up. 
uh, here. And yes, I would encourage churches to recognize those anniversaries, recognize those weddings and, uh, yeah, we need that. We really, really need strong marriages. So, um, I'm going to move on here, Julaine, if that's okay with you. I want to talk about Wisconsin Republicans approving a bill banning abortions after 14 weeks of pregnancy. Um, Republicans who control the Wisconsin Assembly approved a bill Thursday. This would have been, I think, last week that would call for a binding statewide referendum to ban abortion after 14 weeks. Uh, currently, Wisconsin law prohibits abortion after 20 weeks of pregnancy. So this is going to, is this going to set up a referendum, Julaine? Well, first of all, let me say that this is not a good bill. Okay. Um, our organizations did not support it. The Heal, with, the Heal Without Harm Coalition, that's comprised of all four major pro-life groups in the state: Pro-Life Wisconsin, Wisconsin uh, Council of uh, Wisconsin Catholic Conference, mm-hmm. Wisconsin Family Action, and Wisconsin Right to Life. All four opposed it, and I'll tell you why. Because the twenty-week ban is not our current law. The current law is our pre-row abortion ban, right? That says that all, basically all abortions are illegal unless the life of the mother is imperiled. That that is in the court, but there has not been any definitive final answer. It's going to go to the Supreme Court. It's being appealed. Uh, the Dane County judge ruled on it, and then. Um, District Attorney Joel Ermansky from Sheboygan, a good guy, appealed it. Um, so, and it's still there. We don't have a final answer. So right now, that, that really is so open. Why would we want to go to 14 mm-hmm. weeks when right now we have it at, from conception? Right. So the timing on this bill is wrong, yeah. Mary. What a mess. And what it's set up to do is if the Senate passes it, then it, and it goes to the governor, the governor would need to sign it. And then in order for the law to go into effect, it would have to be on a statewide ballot. They hope for this April and put it to the people. If the people pass it with a 50% uh, vote, then it would be in effect. Number one, the governor has already come out and said he's going to veto it. Mm-hmm. Number two, the Senate still hasn't done anything with this bill. Wow. I, I, this yeah. is crazy stuff. I don't yeah. understand why. Um, I don't understand what they're doing other than just the, a political maneuver yeah. going into an election year. Wow. Yeah. This is all kinds of mischief here because uh, uh, the, dem- the Democrats blasted the bill as government overreach. Wow. They're confused. And then, and here, I love this. This is slightly hypocritical. Politicians should not be making our reproductive health care choices for us, State Representative Lisa Subek said. These are decisions that are deeply personal. Um, they shouldn't be making our reproductive health care choices for us. Isn't that what they want? For the well, government in a sense, they do. Well, they want the government. Well, what, what do they really want? Here's what, the, here's what the liberals really want. Okay. Abortion on demand. Yeah. Up to birth. Mm-hmm. And maybe even beyond, mm-hmm. because look what happens in California. There, there's they they passed a bill that could have been uh, seen as infanticide because it would be up to two weeks post post birth. Wow. So, so the the liberals are hiding behind this. Um, I think it's very important that people understand what they want is totally non-encumbered abortion. They don't want to have to give a reason. They don't want a restriction or regulation. They don't want an ultrasound. They don't want a 24-hour waiting period. They don't want... How do I I know that? Because the Liberal Democrats introduced a bill this year in our state assembly, our state uh, legislature, that would undo all of those things. Hmm. 
The only thing they left in there was an ultrasound. They took away the 20 weeks. They took away the parental yeah. consent. They took away the 24-hour wait- waiting period. They took away women's right to know. Mm-hmm. So, 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 so that's what they really want. Um, Lisa Subic is a, she's a former NARAL pro-choice Wisconsin employee. She is the one right now carrying the water, especially for the Democrats on these types of issues. Let it be known. Abortion is not healthcare. Yeah. Healthcare since seeks to heal, to save. Mm-hmm. Healthcare does not intentionally destroy the life of a human being. Mm-hmm. So, well, this is fascinating because, um, PBS has an article out there, and they also saying that Wisconsin law prohibits abortion after 20 weeks of pregnancy. And this is from last week. Surely they know that that original um, 19th century law went into effect. How do they not know this? Why? Well, <laughs> how do they? Yeah, that's a $64 million question, right? <laughs> because they know only what they want to know. Yeah. See, th- that was wow. the reason... That, but that was the reason that the so many Republicans – so we peeled 11 Republicans off that bill. Mm-hmm. We needed to peel 15. Okay. So we had two others that we thought for sure were going to stick with us. They folded at the 11th hour. Wow. But, but, but what, they, the, what they bought was two things. Number one, that um, – well, everybody knows the Supreme Court is going to rule that the pre-row abortion ban is unenforceable. But we don't know what, yeah. that. Yeah, that, that's kind of what I was going with that, thinking if there might be something going on right now. But uh, absolutely, well, that's what they want. Who can read the mind of a Supreme Court justice? I, I gave that up a long time yep, ago. Yep. Um, <laughs> but, but secondly, um, they, they, the Republicans on the floor talked a lot about where well, the will of the people is the law of the land and we need to let the people vote. Maybe we do at some point, but it's not now. Not till we have a definitive t- determination from the final court on our pre-roll law. Give God a chance here, people. Right, right. Wow. Oh. Well, that's, so, that's worth watching. You're a little frustrated on this. Yeah, well, and you should be. I mean, that's something that we need to watch and watch for doublespeak and watch for flat-out whoppers being told by the likes of PBS. Oh, that's not the first time they've told some flat-out whoppers. So, <laughs> you know, uh, everything continues as it was, right? But um, anyway, that's something that people need to keep an eye on. Also, National Religious Freedom Day was January the 16th. Now, that might look different here than it does in other nations because we have a Bill of Rights, but we shouldn't take it for granted. You know, meeting... Uh, and churches and being able to uh, preach and do what we're doing this morning, Julaine. Um, What can you tell us about National Religious Freedom Day? And I think parents definitely appreciate that when it comes to school vouchers and school choice. So um, what can you tell us about National Religious Freedom Day? Well, well, first of all, I'll say it doesn't get enough coverage. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, my, my friends at Gateways to Better Education are very, very good about talking about this because they're trying to help Christian teachers in public schools be able to capitalize on things like National Religious Freedom Day. Um, I, be, uh, National Religious Freedom Day, I believe is the, the land, it's the, uh, date that years in, in, in the 1700s that Virginia passed a religious freedom, uh, uh, bill. And they set the tone, and preceded by the way the U.S. Constitution. It was kind of the the groundwork that we needed for what we put in our Constitution in the First Amendment of the Bill of Rights. And so, look, the founders called religious freedom the first freedom. Why? The first freedom. They didn't mean it was first in the Bill of Rights. They meant that it was foundational. Mm-hmm. I. Why am I pro-life? 
I'm pro-life because of what I believe scripture says about it. Now, biology's on my side too, but that's because the creator God made it that way, right? So what do I believe about marriage? It's, it's, I come from that, from a biblical perspective. I, I want a Christian worldview. I want a biblical worldview. And so I'm basing all of that on my faith. And, and what I know to be true in scripture. And so it is the underpinning for all our other freedoms. Mm. So when you, and, and by the way, if you take away freedom of speech, you, re, and that's why I think the first amendment includes freedom of speech along with freedom of religion is uh, because if you don't have the ability to speak about what you believe, you really don't have any freedom. That's right. And so we need to honor that. And, uh, you know, one of the things we found uh, that came out about the time that we had this earlier in January, was a the Beckett Foundation for Religious Freedom did, does an index. And what we're finding is that more and more people are understanding that religious freedom is important. In fact, their their index is scaled zero to 100, and they, they, they put ratings on various statements that people agreed to, people that do their survey. And one of the things they found was more and more people believe that religion will be part of the solution to our state and national issues. Yes, and I really like this um, day of religious freedom because, um, you know, religion in the workplace, a lot of people will say that, you know, I can't even express my faith in the workplace, so my my right to free speech has been shut down because somebody might be offended. And, and so we peel the layers back and we find that people are so easily offended. But that doesn't mean that we uh, cater or kowtow to them and stop talking about our faith. Um, we have another kingdom and, and eternal lives are at stake. And so, you know, we're called by God to do something differently maybe than what the world is doing. But I like that uh, it says Gen Z supports religion in the workplace uh, and that religion is part of the solution to the problems that are going on in this well, country right now, which for me, it would be Christianity, you know, not necessarily exactly. religion, but Christianity is definitely part of the solution. And, and that would be my, my important point. I really agree with that as long as Christianity is given equal opportunity yeah. to be part of the solution. And by right. the way, that's one of my hopes about our school choice program with all these kids that are involved in our Christian schools through the voucher program. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we're raising up the next generation of Christian leaders who will, who, because we've had religious freedom and we've had educational freedom and those go together, that they become part of the solution mm-hmm. to our, our problems. Yeah. With the truth, with the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, yes absolutely. So. That's the only way to go here. So uh, we just probably have time for one more, Julian. And I, I want to talk about 49 of 50 states saw gender confusion rise over the years. Gender dysphoria diagnoses uh, increased in nearly every state between 2018 and 2022. Um, and it talks about Virginia recorded the largest increase in patients diagnosed with gender dysphoria. That's 274%. All of a sudden, Julie, it seems like this all just came out of the blue, and that's never really true about things, but um, about anything. But um, what do you want to say about the the gender confusion? Because boy, talk about ripping a society apart, starting with the youngsters. This will do it. Well, first of all, I'm going to tell you that there's a disparity on which side of whether it's boys or girls that are mm. involved with this increase, and it's mostly in girls. Um, mm. um, Schreier, trying to think of her first name, wrote a book where they were coming for girls and how susceptible girls are to a message that 
um, a, a, appeals to their emotions. They're already, you know, they're, they're in puberty. They're confused. Yeah. And, and, and so girls are especially susceptible to this. But why wouldn't you see an increase in diagno- diagnoses of gender confusion when the media, the entertainment world, the mm-hmm. internet is filled with it? Everywhere you look, the schools are promoting it. Um, it's, it's, it's looking like, you know, it's kind of like the breakfast of champions. Everybody's doing this. You need mm. it. And, and so it's become the cool thing to do. Mm-hmm. There's a huge amount of pressure, a huge amount of peer pressure involved with this. I think the medical, um, community is also complicit. They are, they are many of them, not all of them. There's some wonderful people out there that know all of this is very dangerous, especially for our kids. Um, but there are others that are very quick to say, oh, yeah, yeah, well, let's do cross-sex hormones. Let's do puberty blockers, right. you know, and you surgery and blah, blah, blah. So, so it, it's, it's the pressure. It's the notoriety. It's the cool thing to do. What's the tragedy? The tragedy is they are making decisions mm-hmm. that will have lifelong consequences. Did you know, mm-hmm. Mary, that there was a 19-year – she's filed a lawsuit here in Wisconsin – against the University of Wisconsin hospital and doctors who at, when she was 19, she had a hysterectomy. When she was 21, she had a double mastectomy because she was self-diagnosed as gender confused. And she, she's claiming, and I can understand this. I think she's probably right. She's claiming that she was not given an opportunity to be fully informed mm. so she could make what we call an informed consent. What minor do you know is equipped to understand what the effects of a double mastectomy right. or a complete radical uh, hysterectomy are. Right. And the drugs um, that they give too, the hormones the that they give. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, these things, these things are, so, so it should not surprise any, I think in Wisconsin we had a 51%, <clears throat> excuse me, a 51% increase. Wow. Well, and I want to mention before we're done here is that Wisconsin Republican legislators have authored a bill and this, this actually helps a little bit. It goes some, some distance to protect parents' rights and religious liberty. Okay, so the Assembly passed uh, Bill 510 on a vote of 62 to 35 to establish specific rights for parents. Um, and it says it would allow parents to withdraw their children from classes for religious reasons or personal beliefs. It ensures parents are informed about any instances when, quote-unquote, controversial subjects such as gender identity, sexual orientation, or racism are addressed in the classroom. When I was a kid, if they were talking about something that the parents didn't want their kids to be involved in, you could take the kids out of that class. But here is a bill... Um, um, Julian, what do you think about that? At least it's, it's something, it's, it's a parental rights bill in light of all of this. What do you think about that? Yeah, our, um, <clears throat> excuse me, our Wisconsin Family Action has supported that bill. Uh, we, we think it, it's very important. Uh, they should all be assumed rights that everybody mm-hmm. assumes parents have because your rights come from God as a parent, not from the government. Right. But they're delineated here to help lay it out in one place in our statutes to make it clear that there are boundaries mm-hmm. and that government agencies, including schools, are not uh, able to usurp some of these things. One of the things about that bill I love, though, is there a state? there's a statement in there that says there are other inalienable rights mm-hmm. that parents have that, though they're not delineated here, are still recognized. Wow. Wow. That inalien, you know what that means? Inalienable means God given. Right. They are inherent. And, and, um, 
So yes, this bill is helpful in that regard. It certainly is. Uh, we passed it last session, got it to the governor. The governor vetoed it. Uh, I think he got it on a Tuesday or Wednesday, vetoed it on a Friday, left town. Um, I, I fully anticipate the Senate will pass it again and get it to the governor. And I fully anticipate that this governor will veto it because that's his worldview. Right. The children are wards of the state. Right. Right. They are not yeah. gifts of God. And schools, to the schools are what the kids want. No, school is what the parent wants the school to do. And boy, has yep. that gotten backwards over the years in, in my lifetime for sure. Uh, Jelaine, we're pretty much out of time here, but I'm really thankful that you had some time to be with us. Um, any last thoughts, uh, before we go? Um, like probably have less than a minute here. Well, I, I'd say my last thought is do not despair. Yeah. Our sovereign God is still God, eternal, omnipotent, omniscient. He is in control. Don't despair. Hold your head high. Don't apologize for being a believer. Be bold. Be salt and light. Amen. Thank you so much, Jelaine Appling. It's always a pleasure to have you on. uh, And we'll be having you on again probably sometime around election cycle to see how things are going. So thank you so much, Jelaine. Thank you. God bless you all. All right. Just a few seconds here. I'm going to finish this up. Uh, Headlines tomorrow. Uh, Tuesday, Paul Scharf, uh, Friends of Israel, and I have some questions for him about Israel, and and uh, so I'm looking forward to talking to him. Don't forget the open house here at Q90 from 2 to 7 today. We would love to see your shiny, happy faces. Uh, come and talk to us on the event of the 30th anniversary of Q90 FM. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God our Savior who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Have a great day.